one thing I can promise you this. I will always tell you the truth. The crowd was massive. That was all the way back down to the Washington Monument. It looked like a million, a million and a half people. And I gave you the biggest tax cut in the history of our country. You know, the wall is being built and we're doing 10 miles, 10 miles a week. It'll be completed very soon. We won Georgia easily. We won it by hundreds of thousands of votes. Actually, I won Wisconsin. We will win this, and we, as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. I have to be always very truthful, because if I'm a little bit off, they call me a liar. Undeniable sound of former President Donald Trump's voice. We played the montage of alternate facts, of disinformation. Sadly, tens of millions of people believe the disinformation that is delivered by the former president. We want to talk through how disinformation is, is seeping into all of our lives in ways that is very destructive, not just to democracy, but to uh, how people interact, how the belief system of fact-based news uh, is struggling in this disinformation, what uh, Timothy Caulfield calls a mushroom cloud of disinformation. He is a professor of research, director of Health Law Institute at the University of Alberta. He is one of the best follows on Twitter at Caulfield Tim. So much de debunking of disinformation delivered by Professor Caulfield. Very happy to have this author and speaker and TV host join me now live on the line. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so we're gonna open phones in the next segment so people can call in and talk about disinformation and, and perhaps challenge uh, that some might still really very much believe what former President Donald Trump uh, says. We watched the town hall that CNN put on with the former president uh, in front of an audience of, of Republican voters or, or undecided voters as well. Can you just give us from your perspective, perspective what CNN did by putting uh, Donald Trump on this town hall? Man, it, it was just this volcano of lies. Like, what did you call it in the, in the intro, an alternate facts? You know, I, I think we just have to call them, they're lies. They're just, you know, they're, the earth is flat kind of stuff, right? And, you know, I think yeah. that we need to, to be clearer, you know, about, about that reality. And, you know, something, Jody, I, you know, obviously I've followed uh, his path, especially in the mis misinformation space, very closely. And even I was surprised. You know, I shouldn't have been, but even I was surprised the degree to which he leaned into the lies. I thought we might hear a little bit of spin, a little bit more spin, uh, but he just leaned into the, the, to the hard lies, the hardcore lies. And uh, that was surprising to me. Now, I, so there, as you probably know, and you've seen this play out, there's a, a big debate about whether CNN made a massive error by doing this. So uh, on the one hand, the conventional wisdom, Jody, is, and there's actually research on this and a lot of commentary in my, in my world on this, you don't platform, you don't legitimize um, misinformation mongers, right? That's sort of the rule, right? And, yeah. and you, know, you, know, you don't debate them you, you, because that just creates false balance. And so that's the conventional wisdom. So that would say CNN shouldn't have done this. On the other hand, you know, he is the, the, the lead candidate for the GOP by far, right? And so yeah. 
in a democracy, can you really say we're not going to platform this guy, we're not going to legitimize him, because the Republicans are legitimizing him. I still, right now, lean on the side of this was an error. They shouldn't have given him this platform. What is interesting, I'm sure you're following this very closely too, Jody, is both sides, so the Republicans and the, uh, the Democrats, are saying it's going to work in their favor. You know, uh, Trump has basically said he's going to use this as an infomercial, and the Democrats have said they're going to use this as an infomercial, which I also think is very telling because it highlights the degree to which uh, the United States is polarized and the degree to which increasingly Canada is polarized. It is really quite something to have witnessed. It was um, fascinating to watch how um, dug in the former president was with how he non-answered Caitlin Collins' questions and when very much pressed on a specific subject, pushed back in ways that we have seen the tactics of, of Donald Trump use, you're, an, you're a very nasty person, when she just wouldn't stop trying to have that dialogue of like, no, that's not the question that I asked you. You're not answering that question. He would... He would push back in ways where you didn't very much, you didn't learn a great deal from President Trump in this. It felt a lot like his talking points, you know, and, and legitimately watching it, trying to see, as you said, he's a very powerful individual. He's got, you know, tens of millions of Americans voting for him um, and not really having a platform other than saying things like I could end the, the war in Ukraine in 24 hours or, you know, continuing this, um, this rhetoric around the the election being rigged that one alone being put forward proven debunked numerous times is it is it in the best interests of the global community to continue to try to debunk that in real time or do we just let it go and 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 have it be the infomercial for the other side yeah i i think we need to continue to debunk it and and that in that one lie, and, and there were so many lies on there, it was almost like if you were making a satire about Donald Trump and you were going to write a script on the things he'd say and how it would play out, that, you know, that's the way you would do it. It was just so over the top. It was you know, hard to watch. But that one lie, the, you know, the, the election lie, the big lie, has done tremendous damage, right? just tremendous damage. And there's, you know, again, empirical research to, to back this up. Um, despite the fact it's been disproved, despite the fact even you know people in the Republican Party has, have you know said clearly it's not true, um, tens of millions of Americans believe it, right? And that does real harm to to democracy. I think we do need to continue uh, to to debunk it. I felt for for Collins, you know, I, I my heart broke for her, and I probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't. She's part of CNN, part of the decision making process to to have that event happen, but. How could you have responded? You know, what could you? She was in a no-win situation because he just talked right. over her. He just she, he just went through the litany of lies that he had, and there was this you know friendly audience, which was sickening to hear that audience laugh at the sexual assault jokes and him, you know, laugh at you know commentary about January six. It was it was hard to watch. Yeah, it's it's really something, and I know there are people right now yelling at their radio who want to defend. Donald Trump and saying those are not lies and he he is just telling the truth and and the rest of of those who would push back against him are the swamp how does one sitting at their kitchen table when somebody knows 
the facts, has done the the due diligence to really check. And as you mentioned, many Republicans saying that the election was not rigged, that it, you know fair and 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 democratic elections take place in the greatest democracy on the planet that has always traditionally been the United States. Um, and and yet still there are people who are saying that he's tell, Donald Trump is telling the truth, saying that that this election was stolen from him. How does that kitchen table conversation happen? How does one sit across from perhaps a loved one, a family member, a longtime friend who is staunchly on Team Trump and will not hear truth and fact over what Trump has been telling them is true? Well, it, it is incredibly difficult. You know, I'm, a, I'm an optimist, as you know, Joey. I always like to believe we have a you know, growing body of research that tells us how we can address the, you know, the misinformation problem. But yeah. I, get, I get more pessimistic when you talk about ideology, because it is incre- increasingly becoming about ideology and in-group signaling, and there's this you know, growing body of evidence that tells us that when that happens, it does get more difficult to change people's minds. But, you know, you, you want to listen to these individuals. You want to try to empathize, and I know that can be very, very difficult. You know, try to get a sense of what brought them to that place. You know, what, you know, what were the values that they, that they found attractive um, and and try to give them a path to credible information. And the other thing that's really important is to know when to walk away, right? To know when to walk away that, that you're not going to make a difference. There's been really fascinating research, though, Jody, that highlights the degree to which ide- ideology and, you know, politics more broadly has become the dominant driver uh, of the beliefs. There's a study that came out just a couple months ago that found that um, in the context of COVID treatment, so th- this is something you would think would be driven totally by the science, right? Uh, there is yeah. huge polarization with physicians and the public, so including physicians. And what this study found is even for physicians, the, the driving factor on what they believe about COVID treatments is uh, what cable news show they watch and not the science. The polarization, to quote the study, the polarization is driven by preferences for partisan cable news and not by exposure to scientific research. That's for physicians. That's how polarized we've gotten, right? And, of course, what they're talking about is CNN and Fox News there. They don't say it in the study, but that's what they're talking about. So that polarized information ecosystem is driving our uh, our beliefs, not the science. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith on this glorious Friday. Again, a little bit of a warning that if you haven't heard, you might be looking outside going, it's so beautiful out. It's about to get extremely warm here. It's going to feel like we're having a vacation in British Columbia and you don't even have to travel. It's it's going to feel remarkably August-like before Mother's Day even hits on Sunday. Yes, that is your Mother's Day reminder. Uh, Lots of people with plans to travel. Every time I turn around, somebody's saying, I'm going to Italy. (laughs) I blame Stanley Tucci uh, for all of us looking for Italy, searching for Italy. But uh, lots of people planning to travel, uh, hop in a flight somewhere after years of staying rather still. Uh, So anyone with a plan to travel, likely keenly aware that more than 1,000 WestJet pilots are poised to hit the picket line this month. The union claims the employees are overworked and underpaid. Of course, the airline thinks otherwise. Here, um, here are WestJet pilots talking about how they are ready to strike. We are ready to take legal strike action or be locked out at that point, but we are still hoping to reach a deal. The union says it's losing pilots who are taking better paying jobs at other airlines, particularly in the U.S. 
They want more money, job security, and better scheduling. We are some of the lowest paid in North America, if not the world. All right, and here is the CEO of WestJet saying what their position is. Labor contracts are nature, uh, national by nature, and uh, they have to reflect uh, the um, labor law, they have to reflect the standards of living, social security, and the market conditions. And the United States are a very, very different country than Canada, and uh, frankly, the companies, the airlines we compete with, are not the airlines from the US, but they are the airlines in Canada, so that's what sets the standard. They're being pilots being wooed to U.S. carriers who are suffering a pilot shortage. Here is uh, Captain Bernard Lewell, uh, Airline Pilots Association, talking uh, briefly about the North American market. I started here 18 years ago. This was a place pilots wanted to come. This was a place pilots wanted to retire at. That is no longer the situation. Pilots come here for a couple of years, they get some experience, and then they go to another airline within North America. Okay, so with this looming strike or lockout, thousands are on edge. It seems at every turn for years, there's been restrictions, delays, cancellations, disruptions for travelers. We got to talk this through. And our go-to for this is someone who knows the airline industry intimately. Duncan D is the former chief operating officer of Air Canada and joins me on the line. Duncan, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Jody. So what do you see happening here? How worrisome is this for the traveler when it comes to what might happen with WestJet? Look, the threat of a strike, a pilot strike in particular, is always unsettling for any traveler. Um, but the one thing I want to remind listeners is the last time we had a pilot strike, a full-blown national pilot strike in Canada, was in 1998. So, you know, this is not something that happens frequently. In most cases, uh, both the pilots union and management are very incentivized to come to a deal before they get into a strike or lockout situation. But we have right, it's bad business to not tr not get people where they're going, right? It's very bad, and it's bad not just for the pilot uh, for the for the airline, but for the pilots as well. You know, a complete shutdown of the air transportation system, or in this case, a, a major national airline doesn't bode well for both the pilots and management because it takes a while to regain the trust of travelers after a strike. So, you know, this is something which I think both sides have to keep in mind before they do anything drastic. Is anything impacted here or how significant, I guess, is a better way to phrase this, how significant is the impact of the shortage of pilots south of the border. We've seen significant disruption due to just simply not having the number of pilots available. And really, frankly, air traffic controllers is another big story um, in the US. But what, what happened in COVID was shutting down tra travel or reducing travel to such a significant degree. Um, how does that impact this uh, showdown between the union and WestJet? It's definitely in the background. And by background, I mean, we need to keep in mind that the, the mobility of uh, workers on either side of the border is limited by that border. So, you know, a Canadian pilot can't simply uh, pack their bags and get a job in the U.S. without having mm. to do do different things like apply for a visa. You know, there is that NAFTA did not include uh, commercial airline pilots as one of the professions which automatically allowed 
uh, work authorization in the United States or vice versa in Canada. So, you know, those are things. So, it, you know, the, the mobility of workers is a very significant part of uh, the equation. The one thing, though, Jody, that um, we have to keep in mind is, yes, there is a pilot shortage. In the U.S., Delta Airlines, one of the largest U.S. airlines, one of the largest airlines in the world, came to an agreement with their pilots for a 34% wage increase. You know, now, wow. a 34% wage increase is unprecedented in the airline industry. Again, while the, uh, the U.S. and Canadian labor markets <clears throat> are not uh, joined, they're not unified in one market, that obviously has an impact on negotiations north of the border. But the one thing that uh, we need to keep in mind is the configuration of the airline industry in Canada is very, very different. We only have two large national carriers. So when we see pilot shortages in Canada, the airlines most impacted by that are in fact the smaller regional airlines, not the large national mm. airlines, because you have this pool of regional pilots who aspire to jobs in the national airlines. You know, their their eventual goal at a small regional airline, say up north, is to eventually make their way to a WestJet or an Air Canada where they can get better pay and better working conditions. And so the pilot shortage that we're seeing in the U.S. is not directly a situation in Canada. Having said that, 34% wage increase has an impact because it's something that, you know, pilots north of the border look at very closely. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith on this Friday. Hope it finds you well. Hope you are staying cool. You've been listening, obviously, all morning long to uh, the warnings about the weather that's coming. It's not a heat dome to the June 2021 degree, but it certainly is remarkably warm and will be even hotter as we go through the next number of days. So look out for your neighbors. Look out, look out for your loved ones. Take care of one another. Uh, maybe keep it cool. Keep it close to home. Stay hydrated. Eat well. Do good things. Uh, plan for spot prawn season as we head towards Mother's Day. I love a spot prawn. I'm not sure about you. Do you love sustainable seafood? Are you into ethical fishing? Um, all of these things are really important to particularly our neck of the woods, our, our world here on the on the coast. Uh, we have just an absolute cornucopia of seafood available to us here on the coast of BC. And if you'd like to support Canadian fishing families, do I have a story for you? Sonia Strobel joins us, the co-founder and CEO of a company called Skipper Auto. O-T-T-O, Skipper Otto, Sonia Strobel. Welcome to the program. Good to chat with you. Great to chat with you, Jody. Thanks for having me on. I have to say right up front, this uh, story was pitched as a, do you like st spot prawns? Yes, I do. We're <laughs> one of those families. My significant other is a chef. We love to have food in season and, and get the best of the best quality that we can. And we, we savor the small bits in this short window of time that we can get spot prawns. Like so many people here, almost like a it's, an, it's a pilgrimage each year when spot prawns are available. And Skipper mm -hmm. Auto has flipped the script for me. I have actually tasted your product. I, I tried them earlier this week. Uh, mm -hmm. Your team of people are so great. And I have to tell you, I was, I was planning to like them. I was not planning to 
literally be incapable of discerning a frozen spot prawn from Skipper Auto from the actual real deal fresh from like still damp from the dock. Tell our listeners a little bit about how that is even possible and what Skipper Auto is all about. Well, that's great. I love that you enjoyed them so much, and I I absolutely love them too. And you're you're right. A good flash frozen spot prawn is every bit as good as a live prawn down at the docks. And you're also right. It's so exciting to go down to the docks and and get them live off the boats. And it's kind of a a fun activity. Um, You know, spot prawn season opens on Monday, and it'll just be bustling down at the Fisherman's Wharf, and that's great. And yep. it's also something that we don't have to just eat for 40 days a year. We can, we can enjoy them year round when they're quality flash frozen like you tried. So that's something that we're really excited about at Skipper Auto is that we're able to offer prawns to our members pretty much year round because our fishing families uh, flash freeze them on the boat. So they're, they're coming in off the, uh, coming out of the traps and they're uh, deheading them, pulling the tails off right live there because, of course, that's an important thing, right? You can't have a spot prawn with its head attached because the, the enzyme in the head kind of leaches into the meat and can make it quite soft and mushy. So sometimes people are getting, you know, they're not, not all frozen spot prawns are equal. Sometimes they're getting lower quality ones, but ours are, are flash frozen on the boat. So they really are that same quality, uh, you know, of, of, of catch day fresh that, that we love. This is there's so much about Skipper Auto that I have discovered over the, just this last week. Um, yeah. Having it be 100% traceable, you know, there's mm-hmm. so many misleading packages in stores. You think you're buying something and you're not really, or or how was mm-hmm. it gathered? Is is it is it damaging the ecosystem? You use the term fishing families. These mm-hmm. uh, spot prawns and, and and other items in season are caught by independent Canadian fishing families. Tell us that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. This is really how we got started was I married into a fishing family uh, 22 years ago and, you know, could see the sort of what was wrong in the industry. Some of the things that are wrong is that we catch some of the most delicious, beautiful, abundant seafood in the world in some of the cleanest waters, some of the best managed fisheries. And in Canada, we export almost all of it. We export about 90% of what we catch here. Isn't that crazy? And, yes. and at the same time, when you go to the store, uh, you know, most of what we're buying here is is imported. About 80% of the seafood that you can buy in Canada is imported. And wow. that just struck me as as crazy, you know. And, uh, and, and at the same time, also, a lot of that seafood that we get is mislabeled. There's been study after study into this. About 47% of the seafood that we buy in Canada is not what it says it is on the package, which is crazy too. So even when you think, oh, I'm going to, you know, get the wild salmon or I'm going to spend a little more and I get something local, it might not even be because so often that long supply chain means the story gets lost of who caught it and when and where and how. And so that's why we started Skipper Auto. So it was Auto with my father-in-law. And so the, the idea was that our members would commit to eating with the ecosystem for a year and they would invest ahead of time. And so that's how it works today. Our members join by the end of May and they commit to saying, okay, let's say, for example, I'm going to eat, you know, $200 worth of fish this year. They buy $200 worth of credits and then they can pick and choose from the catch throughout the year. And it's just caught by our family. And now that we've grown over the last 15 years, we're a group of 45 fishing families here in BC and in Nunavut. And every piece of seafood that you get comes with the face of the person who caught it and their bio and their story of when and where and how it was caught. 
Skipper Auto is the name. If you're sitting in, I, I know about this now and I've tasted the, the spot prawn, the one product, I am going to become a member because this is direct to consumer. This is not big business. This is not going through the big distribution situation. Skipper Auto, S-K-I-P-P-E-R-O-T-T-O.com uh, is a great resource. I love the story that, that when you when you click on our story on your website and it opens up and, and what you just recounted saying, you know, we started Skipper Auto in 2008 to help Sean's dad, Otto, get a fair price for his catch. It brings me back to what we all witnessed in the now Academy Award winning movie, uh, Coda, and, yeah. and how the, the struggle is real for fisher people, fishermen, fisher women, people within the, you know, people are hands on doing that hard work of bringing the best possible quality to the shores to be consumed. Those stats about what we are accessing here locally being being imported is just crazy so this seems like it's checking a lot of boxes is is really what I'm saying here uh, to you Sonia is the the no pressure the quality the in-season the direct-to-consumer ethical so when is there are there varying degrees of membership how does that work if if you're Mm -hmm. committing to it you 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 buy the credits is there a minimum number of credits you must buy yeah, you know, when we started, I wanted it to be ultimately flexible and convenient because I had, you know, babies, small children at the time. I didn't want to get a random box of fish every Thursday that I had to figure out what to do with and deal yeah. with it if I was on vacation. I didn't want that. So I designed right. it to be, you know, ultimately flexible and working for, for people who are busy. So you uh, buy in, as I say, ahead of time, the minimum share size is $200, but that's for the whole year. And so right. you commit that $200. If you go through it quickly, it's okay. You can top up in $100 increments. And that's especially important in your first year because most people don't know how much seafood they're going to eat in a year So when they first join. So you buy those credits. And then the other important piece of flexibility is you pick and choose what you want when you want. So we have a members-only online store where you log in. You'll see your credits there in the top right-hand corner. And then you'll see all the items that we're catching and who's catching them. So you might be able to say, oh, look, Joel and Melissa just brought in scallops. Amazing. Or, oh, Doug's just brought some halibut back. That's great. I want to take a piece of that. And you'll just place an order. And then you can pick it up at one of a lot of different locations. So we're based at the False Creek Fisherman's Wharf, which is right down by Granville Island. But across Metro Vancouver, we have about 30 community partners. We call them community partners. And these are grocery stores, butcher shops, breweries, all kinds of shops that are also, you know, community-based. And they act as pickup locations. So you can order that piece of halibut and those spot prawns and those scallops and then have them delivered to that pickup location and go in and get it anytime throughout the year. It's just so brilliant. Honestly, I'm so glad I got to try the product as well, because when it was in my hands, I'm like, okay, what do I do now? Like, do I need to leave it in the fridge overnight to thaw out? What am I, you know, and I, I went to culinary school. I ever read seal. I I loved, I love to cook. And I was told, no, no, you just run it under some cold water and you know, five or 10 minutes, you'll be ready to roll and just, you know, and, and so I followed those directions and even my chef uh, partner was like, mm, probably not best to do that. I said, we're going to listen to the skipper auto. We're going to do it there, that way. They were perfect, Sonia. They were perfect. Yeah, I was prepared to say they were pretty good or yeah, you know, in a pinch. But I, if you had done a blind taste test for me, I would not have known. They that's were fantastic. Exceptional. 
Yeah, you I'm know, very and we've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> we've done these blind taste tests, and you're absolutely right. People can't tell the difference, and they're they're so convenient. Like you say, you know, it takes about two minutes under cold running water to thaw them so that they break apart. And what I love is that I've always got a tub of spot prawns frozen in my freezer so that if it's suddenly, you know how it is, it's summertime, now we're going to have this beautiful weekend and maybe guests are going to come over kind of an unexpected dinner party or barbecue. I can pull them out. I don't have to plan ahead. I don't have to thaw them. Right. I, defra- I just run them underwater and I barbecue them and everybody thinks I was just down at the dock today picking them up. You know, they're just spectacular and it's so convenient. And it's not we're just all- the prawns, but everything, right? Everything. We're all coming to your house for dinner. It's it's <laughs> all of the things. It's the halibut. It's the lingcod. It's the spot prawn. It's it's our front doorstep ocean on our kitchen table in a very sustainable way, an ethical way, a traceable way, a way of supporting your community as well. Because by signing up, I have not yet signed up, but I will. I plan to. I'm making the <laughs> pledge right now because I want to pledge to support my community of, of fishermen, uh, the, the 40 groups, the people that I'm going to see on, on the packaging. I love this initiative. I love your, your want for it to be inclusive and affordable for families as well. Sonia, congratulations Mm -hmm. on this. Thank you so much. Well, we really look forward to having you aboard. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And my, my uh, friends and family who come over to my patio this summer are going to really appreciate it. That's Sonia Strobel, the co-founder and CEO of Skipper Auto. O-T-T-O is the auto of this. SkipperAuto.com for more information. Thanks for your time, Sonia. Thank you, Jody.